Welcome back, everybody, to Quid Prog Quo, the musical podcast where I subject my loved ones and friends to progressive rock, and they in turn get to subject me to whatever they want. This episode, we have a little bit of a change up. We have a little bit of a, uh, a sliding chair, some musical chairs, shall we say. This week, I'm talking with my good buddy, Travis Lausch, and Travis has uh, his own little uh, YouTube channel that you can check out, Lausch Reviews. Um, and I, I decided to give Travis something a little bit different as he and I have very similar musical tastes in terms of being fully engrossed in the progressive rock scene. So I wanted to try something different. And he in turn just went full board proggy for me for a Japanese progressive rock band. That was a lot of fun. And as always, a huge thank you to Liana Olinsky for the show's graphic and explosive ear candy for their song All Together Now, which is the soundtrack to this podcast that you're listening to right Right now, and I don't want to stall any further. Let's just dive in and uh, find out what's going on for this week's podcast. Give me more of your sunshine. I'll tell you though, I'm probably your uh, coziest guest you've had on the show so far oh yeah oh curled up under some blankets <laughs> bed, with a hot cocoa ready nice. to go. oh that's, yeah that's the way to go really nice pair of headphones on i couldn't be any cozier right now wonderful. if i tried wonderful wonderful all right all right um so thank you so much for agreeing to coming on my show very Not excited. a problem. Very excited to dive in. Um, this was this was difficult for me um, to try to figure out an album for you. Uh, although I'll let you introduce yourself if you want to. Uh, so Travis, who who are you, and uh, how do you know me? Well, uh, who am I? I'm still trying to answer that question to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm uh, Lao Show, and I've done some uh, review videos on youtube i write album reviews for ultimateguitar.com as well uh that's a paid gig i've been doing that for about four or five years now um and how do i know you well we sort of met at a concert back in 2017 mm -hmm. uh it was a pain of salvation with the bands the slide and district 97 opening oh such a good show it was a good show. And uh, uh, we were both kind of up front standing next to each other the whole evening. And mm -hmm. um, we, we didn't directly interact at the show. I didn't become really aware of your existence until the next morning. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you could say that because there was a lot of times when we made eye contact and had that stank face. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. There were yeah. many a times when there was that like, you know, seeing somebody across the way and just having that like experience uh, shared experience being like that was that was tasty oh, oh of course and uh but what really like made me aware of you and your channel was the next morning i had taken a video of pain of salvation playing their song ashes mm -hmm. and i went to upload it onto youtube 
And I thought, well, you know, I should look around and see if anyone else has uploaded better versions of any of the material. You know, I could share that with my friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the first thing I see is uh, your review of the concert. And I'm looking at it going, oh, that's the dude I was standing next to the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Meant to be. Yeah, and and we kind of just hit it off in the comments section. Mm -hmm. I started commenting on more of your videos. Uh, I think from there we became friends on social media. Yeah. And eventually we ended up meeting in person at, uh, I think it was the next, uh, later on that year. Yeah, which one was it? It was at the Opera House. Was that the Haken? Yeah, that was the Haken tour. Yeah, Haken with, I think it was Leprous and... Bent Knee. Uh, oh, yeah, Bent Knee. That was such a good show. It was so good. Oh, man. Yeah, there you was a number of know. times <laughs> when, like, we went, or at least I went for Leprous and uh, Haken, but Bent Knee just blew me right out of the water. Like, two times in their sets, I found myself getting emotional and teary. And I was just like, these guys are the openers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, my friend Shane and I, we're going absolutely nuts over Haken's encore, which was crystallized. Yeah. And I mean, Shane and I were like looking at each other in the middle, like instrumental solo section, like mouthing to each other. Is this even <laughs> legal? Like, it was That's just right. so good. Yeah. Cause we, this was, this would have been either my second or third, third time I've seen Haken live. And the second time that they played crystallized, um, and one of their sets that I saw. Because um, the first time was when they were touring the North American tour, uh, the first time they came over here. And so they had just released Restoration. So it was yeah. mainly, yeah, it was mainly like their first three albums. It was definitely one of those moments where I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're playing it again. Like I figured after that North American Restoration tour, they'd be done with it. But no, they pulled it out. And they did such a fantastic job on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've pretty much been friends ever since then. Like, when I was living in Toronto, you would just crash at my place whenever we would see concerts. Because yeah. save you, what, $200, $300 on a hotel? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I had even taken a video travel log of uh, one of the more recent ones uh, last year when we saw uh, Dream Theater yeah. play yeah. live. So there's, there's some video of us just goofing around. <laughs> that was a good Toronto. time. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. So sad about Bam, the uh, superhero uh, cafe. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I completely so forgot about, about them. Yeah, it's a breakfast place on Queen Street East. That was, was a was, was. breakfast place. Well, I mean, during this quarantine, who knows how many how many places are even going to be around now? I mean, speaking about all the concerts we've seen, I've been through such withdrawal that, like this afternoon, I've been watching the Primus live DVD just to get my fix. Like no, no, uh, today's kind of a sad day for uh, my my girlfriend and I because um, today was supposed to be the day we were going to go to Toronto and see Nightwish. Oh, and their latest album was so good. It was fantastic. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I remember a a notification popped up on my phone saying that uh, the Decemberists uh, album or not album their live show was coming up like i set a reminder so that i knew that my buddy from out of town was coming in and i'm like well that's not happening Ugh, it's a sad day a sad state of affair but 
this lockdown has made me resort to creating this podcast, which is why we're doing right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, lockdowns had some similar effects on me. I've finally been getting to work on some of my own music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and working on music with uh, our friend Shane. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It hasn't all been negative. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Out of, there's always a silver lining. So I'm excited. Like this is something that I was mentioning at the very beginning uh, because I was struggling with trying to come up with an album for you to listen to because through all of my guests so far, I've always tried to find the most moderate, easily accessible form of prog so that they don't just completely write it off entirely. Um, there's been a few guests where I've just thrown them in the, the deep end, but like for you, it's been the opposite. I've been trying to figure out something that's almost overly accessible and something completely out of left field. Cause I couldn't think of anything that you probably wouldn't already know about. That is true. I mean, I do have a fairly deep knowledge of Prague. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some subgenres I don't much care for, like, I'm not really into the neo-prog thing. I just, that was, I've never yeah. really latched onto it. I, if, if this album that I'm going to introduce you to, if this one didn't come up, um, I was going to have you do something of like Pendragon or IQ or Arena, um, something from the neo-prog sphere, just to kind of let you dip your toe into that subgenre. Because I knew that you had a an unfamiliarity and just a more difficult time with that particular style of music. Mm-hmm. So any guesses? I, I want to hear, I, you said oh, you were, you were going to try to guess and you had messaged me saying that it was probably going to be a pop album. And I'll <laughs> say you're in the right direction. Is it going to be Kate Bush? No, but that's a good, that's a that's, good that's a poll. Good- that's a good shout, yeah. That's a good pull. No, it's not Kate Bush. Okay. I'll, I'll give you one more hint, and then I'll... I'll or oh, sorry, okay. I'll give you one more guess, and then I'll go into who it is. Uh, maybe one of Phil Collins' solo albums? That's another interesting guess, um, only because as of last month, I have never heard a single Phil Collins solo album. Really? Yeah. Like I've heard in the air tonight studio and can't, um, can't hurry love. Uh, and then the Tarzan soundtrack, but okay. I've never actually sit down and listened to any Phil Collins solo stuff. So that, I actually, that's actually, that's genuinely surprising to me because you, you yeah. like a lot of Genesis's more later era pop stuff. I do. I really do. And I mean, it took me a while to get to that point. Like it's only been within the, past five years or so where i've actually gone back and listened to their like 80s and 90s stuff but um yeah so this past month like all of august and september i had been going through and listening to all the solo stuff it is hit and miss for sure you know those times that it does hit it hits really hard and i'm not surprised of how big band brassy and percussive it all is because i mean that's mm-hmm. what he does right yeah so those were some good polls, some good guesses. Unfortunately, um, I'm going more, more pop. Okay. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I am a huge Broadway fan. Oh. 
and I love show tunes. <laughs> so I thought, what better way than um, going right into the deep end? And this is a show that is, it never made it to Broadway, only because the lockdown happened far too early. Like it was in the previews, which means people can go and watch it, but it wasn't technically finished. And these previews allowed people to feel it out, see what the audience reaction was, and then tweak the show around before it went on to Broadway proper. So a couple months before it was going to do that transition, the lockdown happened. But they had solidified all the songs, and these songs were written by college students right after they graduated. So the, the soundtrack of this Broadway show is a Broadway show called Six. And here's the through line for progressive rock. Um, six, do you know what the six stands for? I'll give you a guess for that. Cause I, I always love to hear what people think of what the six stands for. You can't see me right now, but I'm counting on my fingers. Um, <laughs> the uh, boroughs of Toronto. No, no, but good guess. Really? Good guess. No. Okay. Um, six stands for the six wives of King Henry the eighth. Oh, so this is a Broadway musical set in the style of like the Spice Girls depicting the six wives of King Henry VIII. The through line for progressive rock is that Rick Wakeman has an album called The Six Wives of King Henry VIII. So I figured there's, there's a little bit of a through line. It doesn't really match, but yeah, I've been, I've been legitimately addicted to this album since i heard it back in june and so all of june july and august that's all i've really been listening to when i'm in the car where i couldn't think of anything else to put on like this thing is just infectious i can't stop listening to it well you're gonna you're gonna actually like be maybe a little peeved with me about this but i actually haven't heard the rick wakeman album <gasps> no oh man i'm so tempted to switch it up and do that but no no i'm going to stand my ground no it's, you've, you've already i've already, already made our choices yeah we've already made our choices okay i'll give you i'll give you homework check out the six wives of king henry the eighth from uh rick wakeman after this but first we'll do first we'll do the uh, the six so, and on spotify there's actually two versions of the album there's okay. the original broadway cast recording and the sing-along don't listen to the sing-along because no. it's it's a whole bunch of people singing all at once and it's kind of a mess. So yeah, just listen to the original Broadway cast recording. Okay. All right. So I'm guessing at this point, you're going to want to know what I've got chosen for you. I would love to hear this. Yes. Uh, I had, I had a very similar difficulty in coming up with an album for you as well, because like we said, you know, we have very similar knowledge and tastes when it comes to progressive rock and unfortunately i don't have like a base in some other genre that's really that far out of left field i mean mm -hmm. okay i listen to a bit of uh i mean i'll fully admit to uh being a bit of a fan of new metal from time to time that's fair um, that's fair jazz sometimes mm -hmm. classical but you know, you're already well familiar with some music in those genres as well. <laughs> so I had to think a little bit outside the box. In fact, uh, thinking a little bit side, or outside the continent, Ooh. outside the Western sphere. And right. uh, I'm giving you a band that's incredibly popular 
in their home country, but only marginally so over here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a band from Japan. Okay. Okay. Is it, is it J-pop? No. Ah, okay. Okay. No, no. I, it's actually quite the opposite. <laughs> Ooh. It's, um, this, this band has been through so many phases that they're almost kind of like, in a sense, the Japanese King Crimson Ooh. without really being very similar to King Crimson musically. I mean, they do have a few similarities, but anyway, the band that I am going to have you listen to an album from is a band called Dur en Grey. I've heard of them, but probably through you. Most likely, because I'm probably the only person in your sphere that's aware of them. And they, they do have a very progressive metal thread, mm-hmm. but I would struggle to actually call their music progressive metal it's maybe a little bit more avant-garde metal there's a little bit of modern mainstream metal in their sound but i mean you can go back to uh their first album in 1997 and hear like the the sort of j-pop thread and how they sort of continually evolved over their career taking on more elements of music that they've absorbed from touring overseas in Europe and finally America in the 2000s. And I feel like the album that I'm going to show you is sort of the culmination of all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's their album, Euroborus. There Ooh, are two versions. Yeah, there are two versions of the album. I'm going to have you listen to the remastered and expanded version. One, because... Uh, the vocal production is much better on it, and I feel like it it helps some of the songs translate a little better. And as well, uh, the two main singles that were released from the album on the North American version, uh, they re-recorded the vocals to to English, and I feel like the the original Japanese versions are just better. And I'd rather you listen to the original Japanese versions. They just translate better. Uh, there's a couple of little extra bonus tracks on the record as well. Like uh, one of the B-sides from one of the singles is included in the record. Uh, there's like a little acapella part. I'm not going to try to spoil it too much for you. But anyway, uh, yeah, this album is a really interesting mix of styles. And it, it can come off for a first time listener, a little bit messy, a little bit just weird, but it's kind of the essence of what Japanese music really is. Like Hmm. it can be very unsettling at times and very, very a lot to take in all at once. Right, right, right. And that's Ouroboros as in the snake that eats itself. Yes. Although they spell it a little differently because they spell everything a little differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've got it queued up here on Spotify. Um, and I've got the remastered and expand, expanded one. Um, Perfect. So, yeah, this is the part where we kind of go our separate ways. Um, I'll listen to this. Uh, you listen to six. And then we come back and uh, kind of comment on our experiences.
Sounds good. I'm going to actually have to find that uh, six in here. Six, the musical studio cast recording. That's the one. That's the one. All right. And it looks like uh, I'm going to have a shorter time than you are. Which means you can groove to it a second time if you want to. Almost. (laughs) All right. So I will see you in an hour and six minutes. and I go into one another's separate musical bubbles to listen to the albums we are uh, asking one another to listen to. This one is a long one, folks. I hope you are ready. Um, I know it was a blast, and trying to cut down anything from what Travis and I get on about is definitely difficult, but hey, we're all in this together. Uh, A couple shout-outs for this little musical ad break. Um, I want to thank Calvin Troyer, for all of his help and all of his support throughout my Patreon run, as well as Robert Goldstein. Thank you so much, Robert, for all of your support throughout the years. If you want to be cool like Robert and Kelvin, you can jump on over to my Patreon. It's Patreon slash Notes Reviews. Uh, and uh, Notes Reviews is my little YouTube uh, channel. So if you want to head on over to uh, YouTube.com slash Notes Reviews, you can see all of my musical reviews and links of how to support me. Uh, so thank you everybody for tuning into this podcast uh and finally one last shout out to liana olinsky for the show's graphic and explosive ear candy for their song all together now which is the soundtrack to this podcast so without further ado let's dive back in and find out what travis thought about six and what i thought about his japanese metal progressive music I don't need your love. I don't need it. Hello. Oh man, so that that was fun. Um, yes, I bet it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear what you thought about six. Ah. Uh, should should we just start with my thoughts on six then? I think so. Yeah. Let's dive right into it. Yeah. That that was interesting. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I had the uh, Wikipedia article for it up, too, while I was uh, listening to it. Oh, just yeah? sort of to get an idea, because um, I'm dreadfully unaware of that section of English history. Oh, myself, that's okay. So. I'm, I'm in the same boat. The only, the only history I know is the sweet, sweet tunes of Rick Wakeman. Yes. So, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, um, I feel like I learned more about uh, Henry VIII through listening to this musical than I ever did in a history class in school, which <laughs> that's, is... Um, that's good, is, I think. Which is definitely good. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start by saying there was a lot more to the lyrical concept and the mm-hmm. structure of the musical for me than there was in the simple, like the music itself. 
Okay, um, okay. You know, for me, synth pop is kind of it, it. It's good, but I'm I'm not really drawn into it. You know, I'm more mm-hmm. of a rock oriented kind of guy, so I'm I'm not really finding as much in the music that sort of grips me in a visceral way. But uh, that doesn't mean it was a bad record by any stretch. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of found something really interesting to tie it in with the record that I have you listening to. And it's the fact, yeah, it's the fact that it sort of has this concept of each ex-wife vying for the leadership of the group, you know, becoming (laughs) the lead singer based on how they were treated by Henry VIII. And it kind of reminds me a bit of a phenomenon in Japan called the uh, Japanese idol pop. Yes. Yes. And, and it has like that sort of very Japanese idol pop feel to it where, you know, every singer is not singing together, but in competition. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, And I think with the stage show, it's supposed to be kind of like American Idol, um, the America's Got Talent-esque thing going on. So you're very right in it being kind of a competition for the six of them vying for who was done dirty worse um but i mean spoiler alert at the end they're all like no we don't need no man we're in it together we're this is where we found our our home our unison but yeah you're definitely not wrong in terms of it being that spin of the idol the idol presentation yeah uh i mean music stylings uh there were some pretty interesting uh things that went on with the record some interesting musical movements uh, I mean, I found um, the more interesting moments were at the beginning and the end of the record for me. The middle okay, of yeah. the record kind of lost my attention a little bit. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, once we get into like No Way, uh, it's a very like fun Lady Gaga-ish kind of track. Yep. Uh, Don't Lose Your Head uh, kind of has this like cute finger snapper of a chorus. Yep, yep. Uh, but I think uh, once I got to Heart of Stone, it was like this obligatory piano ballad you know uh yeah because heart of stone that's the wife that actually died in i think it was childbirth either childbirth or like she 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 was the one that like died of natural causes so people kept saying like she was the one that would have like i think she was the only one that provided a son for henry and he was the one that or she was the one that he might have finished his life with if she didn't die first yeah um, so she got the the big heart ballad you can try but i'm unbreakable you can do your best but i'll seven after all these really pump up the jam tracks it does kind of like i love that track for what it is but i could see it being like a a pump of the brakes after so much pump up the jam and and then it goes straight from that into house of holbein oh i love this track i (laughs) freaking love this track
I, I kind of got a little, like, faked out on it because it starts <laughs> off with this, like, driving Eurobeat. And I'm oh, like, yeah. like, just to go back to sort of the uh, Japan comparisons, mm-hmm. it's making me think a little bit of uh, one of my favorite anime series, Initial D, okay. which has a very strong Eurobeat presence in its soundtrack. Yep. And then it just, like, drops the rug out from under you, and all of a sudden you're in this, like, German beer hall. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. And I love... It's interesting. I love all the play on words that they use with the English and German language within this particular track. Like... Yeah. What, what is I mean, it? It's <sighs> drop this fear and you'll be fine. Turn this fear into a nine. I, I really, like, I, I heard somebody compare this to like uh broadway goes lonely island so (laughs) in terms of their play on words like they're very smart play on words in that sense yeah yeah i think my my girlfriend who's actually been learning german over the last few years she might have a few little cringes here and there if i let her listen to it but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I, i i did enjoy that it's mm-hmm. it's uh the next couple tracks oh no uh get down also kind of lost my attention just a little bit i think it was just a little too monotone for me right yeah because that's supposed to be the in my mind that's almost like the lady gaga big master on the throne track like the boss bitch type of a, a take <laughs> um and it. so yeah it doesn't have like it does have a drive but you you're quite right in it being a monotone drive. Like it's a, it's like a drive it over your head. Like I'm the boss. Don't challenge me kind of a way. Yeah. So the next two tracks though, are my favorites in the whole sequence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. All you want to do. And I don't need your love. Those are like, those are fantastic tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They are of course the longest. And in my (laughs) mind, uh, they are a little bit on the proggy side of things, at least in terms of yep. uh, their structures. In fact, uh, in All You Want to Do, there's like somewhere near the beginning, uh, almost like a Haken-esque kind of musical oh. interlude that just pops out of nowhere. Yeah. And you get these like cool synths that just kind of happen and then they never show up again. Yeah, 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 it does. And ever since I was a child, it make the boys go wild. <laughs> my first music teacher henry mannix i was young it's true but even then i knew the only thing you want to do is broad dark sexy mannix taught me all about um and then through the rest of the track it it, it almost has this yeah it almost has this kind of queen vibe through the rest yeah. of it one like of the queen things, in the 80s yeah one of the things i love about all you want to do is the song continues but it takes a little bit of a side step as the lead singer kind of like tells you the tale of what's happening and that's one of the things that i really enjoy about that because it's i feel it's more personal in that sense i kind of like the way that the story through that song progressed because it is Mm -hmm. of course about uh i forget which wife now because i'd have to look it up but yeah um, i think it's it's about one of the wives who Yeah, Anne of Cleves, maybe? That sounds... But basically, it's just about her relationship history and how every man she's been with is... It's always the same story for her. Yeah. That uh, they're never quite as advertised. (laughs) 
and you know you think you're with the right person and it turns out you're not that compatible after all yeah and it's a very relatable story i mean even in the context of uh history but looking at it like from a modern perspective i mean i know i've gone through similar uh relationship woes in my past as well that are very mm-hmm. much along those lines of you think you're with the right one but you're not yeah and that would that would have been if it's the last one it would have been Catherine parr uh just because i oh, have no. a feeling we'll have we'll have uh history buffs like infuriatingly raging you know, like well, well, no, the last I, one was anyway i know the next one is Catherine parr oh right i don't need your love yes because yes, sorry. this is the part of the story where she comes out and says yeah like i don't need your love because i have already accomplished all these great things i well, don't need I... to be defined by being a wife of Henry VIII. So, yeah, I loved, uh, I also loved I Don't Need Your Love because, I mean, I, I do love me some of that, like, 90s TLC kind of pop. Yeah. And you got that, like, jazzy electric piano, and there's a couple of, like, really smooth transitions in there to, like, different sort of, like, there's, like, a more rock kind of style. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that, like, in the second half of it, that female and empowerment kind of anthem coming through yeah that like whole idea of Catherine parr saying but look i have already done all these amazing things i don't need to be defined by who i married and then that's where we get into six where um i'm i'm gonna admit it has that dreaded ukulele pop sound (laughs) yeah yeah, which as a ukulele player, <laughs> I am all for, pop. but. <laughs> <laughs> I love ukulele. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, the, but I, uh, I understand what you, you mean. Know, like, uh, I know exactly what you mean when you say ukulele pop. The other thing about that track that did kind of turn me off a little is I did feel a little like the second half of I Don't Need Your Love was already a really good resolution of the story. I mm. mean, because this is the part where they're coming together and realizing, Hey, we've been defined by something we're not, or something we, you know, don't define ourselves by. And I grinned hard on, I don't need your love when they come together and saying, uh, we're going to take back the microphone. Like that hit me hard. But now it's us alone. So we've got no choice. We're taking back the microphone. I'm going to raise my voice. They always said we need your love, but it's time for us to rise up. It's not what went down in here. Yeah, yeah. good writing right there. It's really something, because I know a lot of, like, uh, history majors have kind of turned their nose a little bit to this production, only because they're like, yeah, this is like a baseline reading of The Six Wives. Um, but for those of us that don't study history and, you know, we only have a very passing knowledge of the six wives kind of thinking at it in this respect and this, this light for us is a really, really fun thought piece because yeah, if it wasn't for King Henry, like that's how we define these women. But really that's, as you said, it's them taking the microphone and saying, we're not going to be defined by this historical figure we're going to be defined by our own actions so yeah i think by by our own being yeah exactly yeah and 
I mean, as much as I'm kind of ripping on on the title track, the whole thing, I still think that um, it, it does bring a happy ending to it. It does bring this sort of empowerment to the album as well, or the musical that really kind of gives it a sense of finality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it does get better, like for the, the instrumental track, it does get better at the end. Like it, it starts to feel more triumphant when the brass and strings come in. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, even though like the concept of the album or the musical really actually says like, well, you know, we've already figured it out, but we have five more minutes left of the musical. We got to do something <laughs> like the story. And this is according to Wikipedia, like that track is literally just tacked on, uh-huh. but it does kind of bring this you know, happy ending for everybody. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get a little bit more uh, an alternate history of some of these, uh, of some of these figures. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite track is still the last track of six. Um, I just can't help, but like air fist and jump around when they start saying, you know, we've got five, six, what is it, five more minutes? And they go, we're one of a kind. And they like count up to six. And then at the end, they count down to one. We're one of a kind, no category. Too many years lost in history. We're free to take our crowning glory for five more minutes. We're six. something so infectious about that that this is what kept me coming back to this album throughout the the whole summer uh on top of all the tracks just being way too much fun for some reason i couldn't stop listening to this album wow yeah no i i overall i'm quite impressed with it uh i didn't think i would find it to be that infectious and that uh, uh and you know, you gave me a bit of homework to do to listen to the Rick Wakeman uh, album because I had admitted that I hadn't. I did listen to the first couple tracks, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to replace uh, right. the six musical in my mind with the Rick Wakeman one. Yeah, so I'm going to finish that's that fair. later. Yeah, because but uh, that 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 record is a staple of any progressive rock library for sure. Yeah, I really need to get myself a copy of it on vinyl one of these days then. It's, it's so good. But yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had the, <laughs> the fun task of listening to um, of Duron Gray. I, was, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, wow, I'm, I'm glad you did. Yeah, no. Um, so first off, I love the versatility of the lead singer. And I don't know if it's just the one guy that's doing everything or if there's a couple of them. It's, it's one guy. And in fact, it would be, yeah, he's, he's kind of revered among singers these days as being like kind of on the same level as a guy like Mike Patton from Faith Mm. No More and Mr. Bungle, like just Mm -hmm. in terms of, the sheer ability to make just about any noise with his voice. Yeah, yeah. I, I noted I noted about three tracks that definitely made me 
like how to pause the track just to take a breath of what yeah. I was hearing in a good way, in a very yeah. good way. Like it was his ability. And I'm sure when he does this live, it's incredible, but his ability to like switch from one style of growling, screaming sound effect noise to another on on like a, a hairpin turn was ridiculous. Like obviously the second track, the big nine minute one of Vinushka. Yeah, Vinushka. Yeah, I mean that one set the stage for me perfectly. Like, and it was, and that's it, it's one of their best tracks. I will say one thing about the live performances. Uh, if you look up the singer's page on Wikipedia, there's actually a section devoted to how many times he's literally blown out his voice on stage. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he does not sing in a healthy way. <laughs> right. Yes. Because I know that there's a healthy way to do these scream, yelling, uh, growls. And then there's the unhealthy way, which essentially you're forcing your vocal cords to do this and it's tearing them to shreds. And and that's the way he does it is it's all very primal scream kind of yeah. stuff. And, you know, that's great in the recording studio once every few years. But when you're out there on tour doing that every night, like, you are going to ruin your voice. And yep. he's had many surgeries. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. But, um, but it's incredible that he still manages to, like, this is that far into his career, and he's still put out a couple albums since, mm-hmm. and they're still yeah. going strong. Yeah, and I, I love the off-kilter harmonizations, specifically with Vanushka. Oh, yeah. Like, they're... I, maybe this is just a um, like an Eastern thing, but I know for Western harmonizations, they tend to cluster very close together in the harmony scale, whereas their harmonizing is further apart. Um, so it's almost like these two separate notes that we're hitting shouldn't work together and clash against one another, but it creates this very interesting listening dynamic at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a couple of parts, like, just in the background vocals that almost kind of remind me a bit of, uh, I I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, Ligeti, with his uh, mm. poly polytonal compositions like atmospheres, mm-hmm. uh, which you hear like if you know the movie uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey, I you've do heard, indeed. Oh yeah, some yeah, of my like, favorites. Like all like in the background of some of the space scenes, when you hear that like, oh, yep, yep, I know the one stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, like it kind of reminds me of that sort of vocalization. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's. Really, it's 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 yes. very um, uh, primal, as you mentioned before, uh, and very. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Maybe primal is the one that I'm going for, but very like unsettling. Yeah, unsettling. Like dawn of a new era. Like something that history's forgotten. Like, and it's really interesting to hear it in a rock or metal context because I can't think of another uh, band or vocalist that's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At least in the rock or metal genre like yeah you hear it a lot in like the avant-garde zool um 
subgenres uh, and even a lot in like opera and things like that, but definitely yeah. not in the metal or rock genre for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other, so... the, the other tracks that I had uh, kind of highlighted as amazing vocal works and I'm going to butcher all these, so you're going to have to correct me. <laughs> That's okay. Um, what is it? It's uh duo kuko to Sharanu. Dokoku to Sarinu. Oh, I was so close. I was nowhere near close. Um, <laughs> Do, Dokoku to Sarinu. Yep. Yeah, I, Sarinu. Can, I yeah. see it now. I see it now. Um, what was the other one that I loved? Um, oh, um, uh, my two favorite tracks off of this were Where Yam Todi? Ware Yami Totai. Okay. Again, makes sense now that I see it. Um, I like that's the second longest track off the record. And I loved how much of a build and climb that track was. That track is so like heart wrenching. It's kind of the ballad of the album, mm-hmm. but it's also like I'd say it's the closest thing the album has to a sort of traditional progressive rock tune. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, because I even, I wrote down, like, I love the mellow side of this band and it shows that they can handle, because one of the things that really, really gripes me is when a metal band just stays at 11 for the entire album and it just wears me out. What I need is one or two of these touchstone mellow pieces and those can, those are the hardest tracks to nail down if you're a metal track or a metal outfit but man, if you can land them like they did on this one, you're golden because it shows you're able to handle both the raw energy as well as this heartfelt, very intimate moments. using near the beginning it sounded very much like a like a harpsichord or like a steel it, guitar but i don't know what it a, was it, it's just acoustic guitar huh they're just, I, they're just playing it like high up on the fretboard i was wondering what that was because i'm like this sounds ridiculous like it like i said it sounded like a harpsichord yeah they're very good at uh, sort of making different textures out of the instruments they have. I mean, uh, the band setup is like a very standard kind of band, you know, two guitars, a bass player, drummer, a vocalist, mm-hmm. uh, any keyboards and stuff you hear is usually just done by the producer in the studio, but right. Yeah. So yeah, that was, yeah. I love yeah, that, that that's one. Another favorite of mine from the yeah. record. Uh, the other one was, uh, bugaboo. Um, yeah, you got that one right. Yeah, well, I sure hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, that one, I loved how um, proto-new metal it found, like felt. It, it does kind of have know? that 90s, like, I, I think of it sometimes as, like, almost a little Pantera-esque. Yeah, like, I was even thinking of, like, Tool or Isis or um, something along yeah. those lines, you know? Like, the very atmospheric metal of the 90s. Uh, like yeah. we're looking from like 95 to 99, like just before new metal had dropped. Um, but just 
after the big explosion of grunge, where there's a lot darker, almost industrial, but much more focused on rhythm, much more mellow in that sense. It's another one of those tracks that really shows like the band's ability to contrast the lighter melodic moments with these absolutely brutal heavy sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my favorite things about the track is actually the fact that in the middle section, because uh, there aren't really any like traditional guitar solos on the record, mm-hmm. but there are these like riff moments. They almost kind of break into this like old school thrash metal sound where you know, the tempo picks up and they're doing this really like fast guitar riff and where you would expect Keo, the vocalist to scream and shout over it. He's actually singing cleanly. And yeah. like, I mean, with a bit of aggression and grit, but it's still a melodic moment. So they're able to sort of subvert expectations a little like that as well. Yeah. Which I really, I really enjoy that aspect of the track. I also loved how in the choruses they blend the two styles. Like you've got the deep growls while he's harmonizing another vocal line over top of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's a very Gojira kind of thing. It is. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's see here. What other, um, I have a lot of single notes, which is mainly just that voice again. Um which was, um, oh boy. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try this. Uh, Riketsu Narasabi? Uh, almost, Narasiba. Narasiba, okay. Um, yeah, the vocals again. I love the mellow buildup to a huge explosion. Um, and same with Hydra 666. So um, it'll, it'll actually surprise you that Riketsu Narasiba the lyrics are largely actually in English on that one. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's interesting because there are some English lines sort of strewn throughout the album because of the singer's heavy accent. Mm -hmm. It can be very difficult to point them out, which is also kind of why I I didn't want you to listen to the English versions of the singles, uh, Glass Skin and Dozing Green, because those ones those ones are a little bit more imperceptible for the like sort of English speaking audiences. Mm-hmm. And it could, it can be a little unintentionally funny. Right. If okay, you're yeah. trying to pick it out. Right. Yeah. I could definitely see that. The other one that I really need to con- commend them on was something that we've been talking about a little bit, maybe more in the peripheries, but more uh, want to bring it center is the groove of this whole thing. Um, oh yeah there were two tracks that stood out for me in the groove aspect uh toguro is that how you say that one toguro yeah yeah toguro and stuck man um with stuck man i loved how primacy it felt within the bass line
like yeah. that one made me stop and be like, oh man, he's definitely like channeling uh, Claypool there in terms of his his base work. Yeah, um, Toshia, the bass player, uh, he's kind of uh, he's kind of seen a bit as like the Les Claypool of Japan. Like he is probably the most famous like bass player over there. Mm-hmm. And you know he'll be the one in like all the magazines over there for bass players. He's the one with all the cool signature bass models. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean he yeah like you said he's kind of like Japan's Les Claypool. He definitely takes some pretty cool lead moments on a few of the tracks on this that are really good, especially like you said in Stuck Man, mm-hmm. uh, where you've got this like really strong funk rock kind of thing going on. And yeah, fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I think I've touched all the tracks um, outside of the opening, the opening track of Saber. Um, which again, love the creepy atmosphere. I love how that really parted the curtain uh, to open up the album. Um, and the closing track of Inconvenient Ideal, which I found was a great summarization of the album without repeating anything. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. kind of has its own thing with the, the high-pitched vocals and it's a little bit more progressive. It's a little bit more laid back and yeah, so I mean, overall, I had a great time with this album and really blown away by how different everything was. Um, and <laughs> but in a very good way. Like I always love when I hear something very different that catches my ear. Um, yeah, yeah, I had a great time with this one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually uh, ask you a question here because I, I find this absolutely hilarious. Okay. So if you had to guess where this album placed on the charts in Japan, where would you think it would, what, would chart? Oh boy, I have no idea. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if this album was released in 2008, it said? Yeah. Okay. I would say, oh man, I either want to say it placed at number one or at like number fifth. Otherwise, it wouldn't have charted at all. Oh, okay. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying either fit, first Fifth okay, or not uh, at all. You were you were close. Uh, fourth. Oh, I missed it by one. You missed it by one. It was fourth on the Japan charts. And when I say the Japan wow. charts, I don't mean like, you know how here in North America we have a chart for like the pop hits. We have a chart for the metal hits. We yeah. have a chart for we have a chart no, for that's everything. Just, yeah. That's just fourth on the charts. An album like this would not chart in North America. Or well, it did. It charted at number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers, which yeah. is like you know for the very minor artists who are just charting for the first time. It's like the equal to charting at number one hundred. Yeah, and that's where it charted in North America. But an album like this would never chart in like the pop top ten. No, no. but over in Japan, like albums like this routinely make it to number one. This band, uh, like that's a low position for this band. A lot of this band's stuff charts well into like number one in the top three almost Mm -hmm. consistently and i just find that absolutely fascinating because those kinds of bands just never seem to break through over here the way they do in japan but japan loves their metal oh yeah yeah i i I at least knew that because i knew that there was another band called x japan 
that I actually a friend of mine who's really into J-pop. Uh, she got me into them because they have a track that's 30 minutes long. Yeah. Art of life. That's the one. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I still don't see it on Spotify, which really gets me. Earth. Yeah. That it is unfortunate that we don't get a lot of their popular music over here, mm-hmm. but it's, I'm, I'm on the one hand, I'm surprised with how much of their metal music doesn't translate over here. But at the same time, I'm not all that surprised because we still find that with a lot of great bands from other countries. Ramstein, there you go. That's that's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah. Although and- I would say Ramstein gets a little bit more just because if you're into metal, you know about them. But um, yeah, like they're the only ones that I can think of. And there are some elements of the band's stage performances and uh, overall image that don't quite translate as well to North American audiences. Like if you go back to their early stuff, uh, they were part of a movement in Japan called Visual K, okay. which I guess it's sort of like hair metal, but Japanese style. So they wore these like elegant, uh, what they call Gothic Lolita uh, outfits like very oh, okay. feminine outfits and had like very pooched out hair and uh dyed you know all these odd colors it was sort of like a mix of like marilyn manson goth with hair metal yeah when and i saw they, when i when i saw um like when i did a wikipedia search or you uh i saw some of their get-ups um i love them but yeah there's a lot of like hair glam makeup going on very gothic uh it definitely adds to the persona of the music but yeah i could see how that wouldn't necessarily translate all that well over here and then later on in their career they shifted from uh they shifted into more of uh what they call in japanese iroguro okay to translate that roughly into english erotic gore Hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, interesting looking at the people or looking at the uh, some of the images. Um, it reminds me very much of the emo outfits that we saw in around that time. So I'm I'm a little surprised that it didn't take off harder than it did, because I mean it was just three or four steps further into the emo scene in terms of at least the stage performance and personas. Yeah. And I mean, there there were some stage moves they were doing that were almost like could have worked well in a very like emo, screamo kind of context. Like uh, I'll mention probably the most infamous one here. Um, their vocalist would routinely do something called fish hooking, yeah. which involved, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. It involved mm-hmm. him actually reaching into his mouth and clawing at the inside of it to uh, bleed. Nope. all over no nope. yeah. that, that's that's getting the pass from me that's that's getting the pass <laughs> and uh they would do that on stage quite frequently it, it's debatable as to whether the, it was real blood or not but uh some right. people said it was and um they stopped mm. doing that around the time they released this particular album thankfully <laughs> i think they were they were kind of trying to go back to a little bit more of a subdued style for this one and that's fair. uh yeah, because the, the previous album to this one, The Marrow of a Bone, uh, very much emphasized the more metal elements. Like, it's basically all the heavy parts from this record without any of the soft parts. 
Right, yeah. And then the next album after this, Doom Spiro Sparrow, just ups the ante for the progressiveness. They brought back like shred guitar solos. There's more longer songs, more Meshuggah style riffage. Uh, mm-hmm. I think by that point they were playing exclusively seven string guitars. Mm. Uh, and then they've got two more albums after that, that kind of have their own sort of unique characteristic. Like that's one thing about this band is like every album they put out has a very unique characteristic to it. That's okay. Yeah. That's coming back. I remember you were talking about this band in that context um, a while back because seeing the insulated world, I think it is their 2018 release. That looks very familiar to me. Actually, I believe that might've been my first review on YouTube. That could have been it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where it came from. Yeah, I don't want to make this run too long because I realize <laughs> uh, we've got a time schedule to keep. Um, oh, no, that's fine. Uh, one thing, I, I wonder if you caught on with something with the album cover. Uh, a little bit. Like, there is definitely... Um, a familiarity. Yeah. The, go is, look at... Go look... I mean, I can only go see... Go look at King Crimson's Lizard. Yeah, I was going to say, it looked like... Um, x-rays by putting it through in the king crimson lizard kind of palette and it's um yeah that was the actual direct inspiration for the album cover they very much mention king crimson lizard is a big influence on them so nice a little bit of a prog uh, connection there too so yeah i was wondering if you'd caught on with that because like the similarity is so striking yeah, now that you mention it, it, it definitely, I was more captured by the strange, like I mentioned, medical x-ray aspect of it. But seeing it yeah. in that light of the lizard, I can definitely see it now. And uh, I'm just, I'm going to say one more gripe I have about the album for the artwork. And uh, it's such a, such a stupid gripe, but uh, the lyrics are printed in the booklet in black on black oh no oh well, that that doesn't help us yeah. at all <laughs> no it doesn't oh geez and i think i think the north american version all the lyrics are translations regardless of what language they were originally spoken in right oh so boy. yeah but yeah i'm glad you enjoyed the album because it's yeah. The funny thing is, I hated that album when it first came out because I was more familiar with their older stuff and you know how it is. They changed it. Now it sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the, the first time I heard it, I, I was so offended by it and then I really let it grow on me and it, it's become legit one of my favorite albums of all time. Hmm. That's great. I love, I love when an album does that because, yeah, there's so many albums for me where it's the same thing where at first I hate it, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it, but then it just slowly grew on me to the point where it became one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I think I'm going to call it there, but uh, thanks for introducing me to uh, Duran Gray, uh, Ouroboros, um, and I hope you revisit six as well as uh coming through and listening to the rest of uh uh rick wakeman's uh six wives of king henry the eighth maybe if uh six ever comes to toronto uh we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to take a little trip 
Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, I would enjoy that a lot. Oh, same here. Uh, beautiful. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Uh, hope you had a good time. I, I did. Excellent. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, good, good. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for tuning in for another episode. And uh, yeah, keep sharing the good music.